Welcome back to another episode of the Daily Flip Podcast. I'm your host, Alex, and today we're going to be talking about some different articles that are focused on the future of energy. One talking about maybe a new way of taking energy literally out of the atmosphere. The second one talking about an alternative to lithium-ion batteries. And then our final one talking about new policies in Texas that have to do with EVs and how it could affect the future of EVs, not just in Texas, but also across the nation. And of course, we will end today with our daily delight, a story meant to leave you feeling positive and ready to take on the day. So with that all said, let's jump into a daily debate. What kind of energy would you like to see or energy generations type would you like to see if you could come up with your own out of nowhere? Maybe you would want to harness the gravity of the moon. Maybe you would want to be able to simply hold your phone up in the air and it could wirelessly charge through induction just like Nikola Tesla would have wanted. Tell me what your ideal way of generating electricity is and or if you could create one, what would it be? I'd love to know. It's just kind of a speculative one and maybe we have a few future engineers out there who are listening that really have some cool ideas. So our first article comes from The Guardian and it is titled, It Was an Accident. The Scientists Who Have Turned Humid Air into renewable power. So the reason that Tesla was on top of mind and that you heard me talk about him is because this article starts with highlighting, hey, remember when Nikola Tesla said that we'll be able to hold up a light bulb and it'll just turn on because there's just electricity moving throughout the air or is just in the room that we're in and it'll be able to power our devices. Imagine just being able to hold up your phone, like I had mentioned earlier, and just have it charge. That sounds really, really cool. And it sounds like pulling electricity out of thin air. Well, in this case, we're actually pulling humidity out of thick air, just really thick and muggy air. But it's an interesting new revelation that's coming out through a few different studies and one company that's trying to take advantage of it. Quote, in May, a team at the University of Massachusetts Amherst published a paper declaring that they had successfully generated a small but continuous electric current from humidity in the air. It's a claim that will probably raise a few eyebrows, and when the team made the discovery that inspired this new research in 2018, it did. Quote, to be frank, it was an accident, says the study's leader author, Professor Yun Yao. Quote, we were actually interested in making a simple sensor for humidity in the air, but for whatever reason, the student who was working on that forgot to plug in the power. End quote. The UMass Amherst team were surprised to find that the device, which comprised an array of microscopic tubes or nanowires, was producing an electric signal regardless. So this is obviously an interesting revelation, and it's something where the beauty of experimentation really comes through here. That's why I do love science, and I love looking back on some of the inventions over time, how, oh, we were doing some military research, we were trying to weaponize something, and then out of that came microwaves and different technologies that we use every single day. Like, think about the internet. The internet wasn't necessarily going to be weaponized, but it was an idea planned out for military purposes. And then 
look at what we have now. It's completely changed the world. And now these people are just trying to create a nice little small sensor that's able to detect humidity, and they just happen to not plug it in. And now they're starting to notice, okay, wow, so this process, this little device that we've created, is actually able to utilize the humidity in the air in order to create electricity. And it is beautiful to recognize the small things that can come of small mistakes. And this is why I think that we have to keep this idea, this passion for innovation really strong and present in the American psyche. We have to encourage people to experiment, try new things, or find new ways to do something. I mean, we already have humidity sensors, so maybe they're trying to find a cheaper way to do it with this sensor. Maybe they just wanted one that was more compact or used a different type of technology, and in doing so, they found a way to harness this humidity that we experience all the time, especially where I'm from here in Virginia. Imagine the amount of electricity we could create here in Virginia during some of the muggier months, or California. In, I take that back. California is not that bad. Think about maybe Florida. Oh, my goodness. You could probably have some of these generators that we'll talk about here in a minute out there in Florida making bukus of electricity. Who needs solar power anymore? Who needs tidal? No, 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 no. We're going to stick out some devices in your yard, and you know what? We're going to take that humidity that you hate so much and at least use it for something that is productive and will save you a little bit of money. And these kind of innovations that come out of this are very, very intriguing because it makes you wonder, wait, are they going to rent out this device to you? Are they the service companies going to have a monopoly and have to sell this device to you? Or are you going to be able to buy it on the free market? And then just like with solar panels, creating your own electricity and possibly selling it back to the companies, are you going to be able to have your own device in your own backyard that just creates this electricity and you won't have to be dependent on the major utility companies? I think it's it's a very interesting question. And it's something that I look forward to addressing because it could mean the decentralization of electricity production, especially in places that have really humid climates. So I'm obviously talking about a device. What's this device? Well, there is one question, or sorry, there's one quote in here that starts to highlight what's going on over in Europe with one family that has taken advantage of this technology, not this exact same one that was used in Amherst, but a similar concept in order to create electricity from humidity in the air. Quote, that's exactly what another team, Professor Sylvania Lukajev and her twin sons, Professor Andre and Sergey Lubchik, I'm sorry for mispronouncing their names, are trying to do. They are part of a Libsyn-based catcher project whose aim is changing atmospheric humidity into renewable power. And along with Sergey, they have founded Castacata Kova, a startup intended to commercialize the research. They first began the work on the idea in 2015, some years before Yao's team at UMass Amherst. Quote, we were considering we were considered the freaks, says Andre the guys who were saying something completely impossible, end quote. And I'll get back to this one in a second, but this really is something interesting. When you look at Nikola Tesla, when maybe even you look at Edison, there were a lot of the popular or mass 
media, I don't want to say mass media because it wasn't like that at the time, but there were the mainstream scientists who were saying, no, oh my goodness, you guys are absolutely crazy. What do you mean alternating currency? What do you mean direct currency? And there's always pushback from the people who don't understand what the innovation is or who understand what the innovation is, but they have some sort of vested interest in ensuring that that innovation doesn't go forward. And I actually bought a new book about that the other day that's talking about how big tech companies are doing the same thing. They're squashing innovation. And I think that's extremely, extremely dangerous. But also with that stigma of being the guys on the outside and having the really crazy ideas, sometimes that gets you to push through and it really gets you to test what is possible. And this is what I love about human beings. This is If I had to be a pure optimist, this is what it's all about. The fact that Copernicus could fight with his theorem that the Earth is not the center of the solar system, but rather the sun is, and could push back against the church and get more people on his side over time, and eventually people prevailed who were rational and were able to understand his theory. A few years ago, these guys were considered crazy, but now their technology is starting to be more than just an idea. They have proof-of-concept devices, and they are pushing forward and changing the narrative, and this is the beauty of mankind at work here. Not only are we innovating, not only are we trying to get better, not only are we trying to create more renewable resources, but we're not letting the stigma of the mainstream of the group hold us down. And this is very inspiring. And I hope the next generation of engineers and people who are trying to create renewable resources aren't held down by any of these weights. And they look at these teams and say, hey, look, they thought that it was crazy when they were trying to pull out energy from humidity in the air. And look what this team did. Quote, in fact, trying to prove the worth of every of an early proof of concept at conferences had made them literally red in the face. He says, quote, the signal was not stable and it was low. We were able to generate 300 milliwatts, but you had to put all your effort into your lungs in order to breathe enough humidity into the samples. They've come a long way since then. The catcher and related projects received nearly 5.5 million euros in funding from the European Innovation Council. The result is a thin gray disc measuring four centimeters across. According to the Lindbecks, one of these devices can generate a relatively modest 1.5 volts and 10 milliamps. Sorry, milliamps. However, 20,000 of them stacked into a washing machine-sized cube, they say could generate 10 kilowatts of energy a day, roughly the consumption of an average UK household. Even more impressive, they plan to have a prototype ready for demonstration in 2024. So just think about that. If you had solar power, if you had one of these devices, you could probably live off the grid. If you lived in a really humid climate, you could definitely have two of those, or maybe even wind power. You could have two or three different alternative energy sources ready to go if anything goes south, if maybe the power grid goes down for a little bit of time. Maybe your neighbor needs a little bit of energy. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I can spare some solar today, or I can spare some humidity for you. Imagine saying that. Oh, yeah, so uh, how, how humid is it today? Well, I'm, I'm generating about 10 kilowatts of energy today, so it's a little bit more humid than the day before. Imagine using humidity as a metric to measure how much electricity you could create. 
this could really shift the understanding or at least the dynamics of the energy game right now. And, you know, it could be pie in the sky. They may not get as far as I'm giving them credit for right now. Maybe this prototype won't produce as much energy as they say, but it is promising that they're pushing forward on this. And the idea intrigues me. There's no doubt about that. If you can't tell by the little bit of excitement in my voice, it, it definitely makes me want to look into more things like this in the future. And, you know, if I ever become wealthy enough or have enough money on the side that I could fund a venture or two like this, I'm not saying millions, I'm saying like throw in a little bit of money to help a startup or maybe if my kid wanted to do something like this, I would be more than happy to because these sort of things really make me excited and they make me positive about a greener future. And also, like I said, we never know what comes out of tests like this. Maybe after developing this battery pack, they find a way to make a totally different technology or they can utilize this in a totally different way and we can revolutionize some other area of our lives. It is beautiful. We're always pushing forward and we're always becoming better. And that is something that is encouraging to me. Another thing that's encouraging is this new type of battery technology, or at least a new way to formulate some of our batteries that we really rely heavily on lithium right now. And this is a substitute for it. It's actually a sodium ion battery. So why do we need to reconcentrate or reassess why we use lithium ion batteries? Well, one, because lithium is an extremely, not rare at this point, but it can be overmined. We have a limited amount of lithium on this earth. And also because the idea of lithium refinement or the ability to actually turn them into batteries, a lot of that infrastructure is based in places like China, which are not necessarily the friendliest countries to the United States right now. And I know this is future focused, so I don't need to get too political. But think about this new idea of a sodium ion battery. Well, we have lots of salt here in the United States. We have lots of sodium that we could pour into this technology. And it provides a two-track system where there's actually a competitor to lithium ion. So the people that are in the lithium ion industry have to keep innovating and the sodium ion industry has to as well. So it's encouraging because one, it's a strategic alternative to lithium. Two, more competition in the battery space also means more innovation. And if you can't tell today, I'm really on an innovation streak. I love the idea of innovation, not reckless innovation. I do want to make sure that these sodium ion batteries are safe, but innovating and always pushing the boundaries, especially when we are looking at a century when we're probably going to go to a different planet and we're going to need lots of different technologies to get us there and be sustainable. Maybe Mars doesn't have too much lithium. Maybe there aren't too many lithium deposits there and we have to go for a sodium deposit or vice versa. We need to have a large amount of versatile technologies that can be used in industries all over the galaxy or just, let's be clear, on different planets within our solar system to start off with. And I know you're probably thinking, Alex, oh, you're thinking so far in the future. I know it was kind of just an example, but imagine that in 300 years, we're out exploring Jupiter and Jupiter doesn't have enough concentration of a certain gas that we may need. We can't rely on all these same technologies or one track technologies that we use here on Earth where certain elements are abundant. We have to constantly 
use the information we gain from developing one technology and then apply it to other elements or other things that can be found throughout the solar system in order to develop technologies that could work all across the solar system and also in totally different locations in the in the world imagine like chile chile has a lot of lithium so lithium ion battery production there could be great but maybe some countries in africa don't have that same amount of lithium so instead of being dependent on outside countries in order to develop their economy you could have a sodium ion factory there or a sodium ion local industry that bursts up out of there and provides lots of good jobs, lots of local funding so that they can pay for better schools, so they can bring the standard of living up. This is why developing new technologies with old resources while also making sure that they're safe is a beautiful, beautiful thing. So let's talk a little bit about the sodium ion batteries a little bit further besides just my ranting about innovation and why they are good in theory. So what's actually happening in principle? Quote, sodium is in the same column in the periodic table, one below lithium, says fourths. It's got similar properties, but its atoms are much bigger and heavier, and there are also some real clear chemical differences. Manufacturing-wise, it's a drop in technology. If you can have a manufacturing plant that makes lithium-ion batteries, you can swap in sodium-ion batteries. But actual chemistry-wise, to optimize the batteries and make them as efficient as our current lithium-ion batteries, we still have a little way to go. Quote, battery components like a cathode and an anode, the current collectors of the electrolytes, all need to be made from different materials to work better with sodium. Fourth Seth and her colleagues' research has shown many of the components can be more environmentally friendly. Take the anode, for example, which in lithium-ion batteries tends to work best with layers of carbon-based graphite. Lithium goes between those layers. If you're trying the same with sodium, because it's bigger, it pushes those layers apart and destroys the anodes. So the graphite that we currently use for lithium can't be used for sodium. But other types of carbon could be swapped in. One of these options is hard carbon, which is one of the first substances used in early lithium-ion batteries. Also, so I'm, I don't want to keep just reading from it. They talk about how hard carbon is a little bit easier to come by. It doesn't have to be refined as much. And also, they talked about how we could use copper or even aluminum as a different anode or a cathode. And guess what? Aluminum is a very abundant, very recyclable kind of technology. Now, I don't know what the exact recyclability of these sodium-ion batteries would be, but we know that the recyclability of lithium-ion batteries is a big contention, especially when you have these large ones that are used in EVs or electric vehicles. So maybe if we're using something like aluminum rather than a certain layer of graphite, maybe that could be more reusable going forward. So not only are we making it so that we have a diverse set of batteries, but we're also creating alternatives that are maybe a little bit more environmentally friendly. And yes, we'll, like she said, we'll have to trade off a little bit of the efficiency. Maybe it can't store quite as much energy. Maybe you can't extract that energy from the battery as efficiently or as quickly. But the only way to push the limits in order to actually find out what we can do with it is to keep researching and to 
really create a market for it. Maybe these batteries that are sodium ion, maybe they're going to be safer, so we might want to use them as phone batteries. Maybe they'll stay stable for longer. Have you seen the Samsungs that blow up and get really bloated? That's because their, limited, their lithium ion batteries have a limited lifespan. And over time, they actually expand, not explode, but they crack open the phone. Maybe you won't have that with sodium ion batteries, and therefore, you could keep your devices for longer. And that's probably where we're going anyway, because we're going to hit a place where cell phones are at max, they're at peak, and there's not going to be too much innovation, and you're going to be keeping them for longer. So you're going to want a more stable battery technology that's going to last further into the future. And then Apple will just say, okay, well, we know this phone can last 10 years now. And instead of selling you a new phone every year or every other year, we're actually going to switch to more of a subscription model. We're going to have this app, this service, that service, blah, blah, blah. And that's how they'll make a majority of their money from you. And they'll have a more stable battery that's focused towards long-term usage of the phone. But that's a little bit off subject, but my point still stands that maybe we can come up with a battery technology that will last longer so we either don't have to recycle it as much or we'll come up with one that is more recyclable so when you do throw away that iPhone after two years or you give it back to Apple, they can actually take the battery apart, reuse the components, and recycle them into a brand new battery very easily, which is not necessarily the case with lithium-ion. It's not that you can't. It's just it can be very expensive. And is that really cost effective for the companies in order to do that? Probably not. So we'll see how this one develops. And I think it's very, very interesting what they're talking about here at the end. Because I did mention EVs, and the next article is about EVs. And there was one question that the reporter asked, which is very important. Quote, so when can I get my sodium car? Quote, because sodium is a heavier atom, lithium-ion batteries will probably always be more energy-dense. You probably are not going to drive a high-model Tesla using a sodium-ion battery anytime soon because you're not going to get as many kilometers from the car. Wait, hold on, says fourth. Wait, where is she from? Kilometers? No, 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 no. We need it to be in miles. Come on. Don't even start with me. Miles is the superior system. And let's be clear, yes, I am fully aware that the metric system makes a little bit more logical sense, but I am a stubborn American. Use miles, please. Quote, the same goes for planes and other uses that are very grand, where every gram of weight makes a difference. But if you're looking at stationary storage, power tools, home storage, community batteries, anything where basically a little bit of extra weight for a given amount of energy doesn't really bother you, then sodium is a better option, says Forsyth. So maybe phones won't be a great option. Maybe because they will add a little bit of weight, people won't want to do it. But imagine your at-home desktop uses a sodium-ion battery. Imagine that your power bank that you have on the wall at your house is going to be sodium-ion. And you could just have your Tesla solar panels, or sorry, your solar city solar panels linked directly into your Tesla sodium ion power bank and then power your lithium ion car in the future. This is just, you know, kind of exciting overall. But we need to talk about EVs. You know, we're not going to have a sodium ion EV anytime soon. I'm sorry about that. But there is a change coming to Texas. And, well, it's coming out of Texas. And it will affect EVs going into the future. It comes from Reuters exclusive 
EV charging firms oppose Texas' premature plan to mandate Tesla standard. So if you don't know, Tesla's network that they have for charging their cars is absolutely massive. And they have the largest infrastructure, I believe, in the United States at this point. And they have a very unique type of charger or a very specific type of charger. And now Texas is coming in saying, hey, we want you, all of you different EV companies that are building out your network, all you different energy companies that are building out these EV charging stations, we want you to adopt the Tesla standard. We want you to have a plug that would work with the Tesla cars or vice versa, that your car companies would have the plug that would work with the Tesla charging stations. So basically, if Tesla has a patent on this, which I do believe they have a patent on this very specific charging port, both the charging station and the port for their cars, then they can make a lot of money just simply licensing this technology to other companies. And this is why you're probably seeing a little bit of hesitation from these companies because they're saying, whoa, 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 hey, whoa, this is a big leap on your part. We don't want to adopt the Tesla standard. But the regulators right now are saying, well, hey, if we want the U.S. EV market to grow and we want people to have access to one of the largest charging networks that is very efficient and has served Tesla really well, then we're probably going to have to standardize. Just like you have a standard gas pump nozzle and a gas tank uh, place where you put the nozzle, that is a standard regulation. I don't, let's be clear, I don't think that it's necessarily on the books. I don't know, I should say, if it's on the books that it has to be a certain diameter, that the nozzle has to be this or that. But my assumption is at some point the U.S. came in and said, the government said, okay, you know, we're not going to have it so that Exxon can only fuel GM cars and they can't have an exclusive deal where only their cars will have a specific type of intake for their gas tank and only Exxon will have the specific nozzle that goes in that intake. That's going that's going to take too much trouble. That's going to make it harder for consumers. It could create a monopoly condition between GM and Exxon. We're going to eliminate that and have a standard for the gas intake. We're going to have a standard for the nozzles and everybody's going to have to comply. You're probably seeing this crop up in the exact same way for EVs. If we want this to be easy, if we want everybody to be able to charge their cars at any charging station, if we want this infrastructure to be built out in an easy way, we're going to have a standard, and it seems to be the Tesla standard. Quote, San Francisco, June 30th. A group of EV charger makers and operators is pushing back against Texas's plan to mandate the inclusion of Tesla technology in charging stations, saying it is premature according to a document seen by Reuters and a source aware of the matter. Reuters reported last week that Texas would require charging companies to include both Tesla's North American Charging Standard, NACS, as well as the nationally recognized rival combined charging standard technology to be eligible for state program to electrify highways using federal dollars. And, you know, this is interesting. It kind of reminds me of that first article where I was talking about, oh, you have DC current or AC current, you have Tesla and Edison battling back and forth. There are probably lots of different companies behind each different charging standard that are saying, no, this is ours is better for this reason. This one's better for this other reason. And now the government's really stepping in saying, okay, I don't really care. Okay, I, I don't really care. I want you to have 
the ability to be able to do one and the other, and we'll sort it out going down the road. But if you want this federal funding that's coming in to build out your network, then you're going to have to have the capability to handle both standards. And it's, it's like I said, it's very, very interesting. And the fact that there's pushback really shows that there are party powerful parties on both sides that are trying to take advantage of this process, and they have lots of money invested in each different technology. Quote, but five electric vehicle charging companies, including operator ChargePoint Holdings and manufacturer ABB and a clean energy associate, have written to Texas Transport Commission calling for a more time to re-engineer and test Tesla's connectors. Tesla's plan, Texas's plan risks the successful deployment of the first phase of federal funds being rolled out, they said in a letter sent to the chairman of the commission on Thursday, which was seen by Reuters. Time is needed to properly standardize tests and certify the safety and interoperability of Tesla connectors across the industry, they said. The source directly aware of the matter told Reuters that some of these organizations are planning to reach out to the federal government with the issue soon. And I think they're not going to find any any winners or any people that agree with them in the government unless they don't like Tesla. The government's probably saying, no, no, okay, we need to step up. We need to fix this because it's just going to get confusing. And if you know Joe Biden, he's pushing for more EV cars. If he goes the route of California, then he's going to ban the ga- the sale of gas cars by a certain point. So they need to make sure that this infrastructure project or companies that are going to be producing the infrastructure are on the same standard and they can get this money as soon as possible. So I don't think they're really going to find any buyers in the federal government. And I think Texas is trying to get ahead of this and they're trying to help Tesla maybe. I'm not saying it's political gamesmanship. I'm just saying that Tesla and SpaceX have both relocated a facility or some of their employees to Texas, and they may want to favor Tesla just a little bit, maybe just a little bit, or even Elon, because he's building an entire town down there for SpaceX and Tesla for in Texas. I mean, maybe they're preferring Elon. I'm not saying it's gamemanship. I'm not saying it's corruption. But, it, you know, it is interesting to see that Texas is the one really pushing hard on this one when especially they haven't been the biggest proponent of an EV push. I mean, the culture there is big diesel trucks. So it's interesting. I'm Like I said, I'm not trying to call out any corruption. This is not the point of the article. The point of the article is we're making big leaps and bounds in the technology that will be standard across the United States And this will affect our future. Depending on the standard that goes forward, it will depend on which company or it will actually determine which company will come out on top. And for those of us who have Tesla stock, I am a person who has Tesla stock. I have to admit that. I don't mind if it's Tesla standard because they probably have a patent on the technology. But if it's not, then this also leads opportunity for more innovation and many different companies to come in and take the opportunity within the market. And I think that's also a good thing. So they'll push Tesla to become better rather than Tesla having a monopoly with the patent that they own. But, you know, we'll see how it all pans out. And with all that said, all that future talk out of the way, all that energy talk, let's jump into our daily delight. This one comes from Hudsonton Times. Dog's dramatic fighting style baffles cat. Then this happens. So the photos when I first saw it, I was like, no, it looks like the dog is 
rolling around? Wait, hold on. And then I went on to read what it was going on. Quote, it is an uncommon to see videos of cats and dogs fighting each other. However, there are only some videos that take a hilarious turn and leave people chuckling. One such video was shared on Twitter shows a dog confusing a cat with its dramatic fighting style. And yes, the dog is not actually, I think he's playing more of a mental game. He's, you know, having a psychological fight rather than a physical paw-to-paw fight with this cat because he really is a confusing one. Quote, this is one such of those videos that has the power to uplift your mood and almost immediately make you laugh out loud. And if you want to see any of the video or if you want to read any of the articles that I mentioned today, there'll be a link in the description below that like and subscribe button. Also down there, you can find the podcast on Spotify, Pocket Cast, Google Podcasts, Podvine, as well as the link to the Twitter handle at Your Daily Flip, where I try to post Twitter tirades every Tuesday and Thursday. Little 10-minute clips, not necessarily article-based, just rants of things that I am thinking about. All right, with all that said, there's only one more thing to say. Stay safe. Don't die.